a series called Unshakable Joy. How many of you guys want to see breakthroughs and miracles? Anybody want to see that? Breakthroughs, miracles, chains falling off, all of those things. See, uh, here's the thing about those things about miracles and breakthroughs and chains falling off. Before you have any miracle, any breakthrough, any chain falling off, you have to have a problem. Everybody wants the miracle. Everybody wants the chains to fall off, but none of us want to sit in the problem and see that actually happen. And so what we're going to be talking about today is a story that's very famous that many of you guys may know about that God kept directing me back all week long to the story of a guy named Paul and a guy named Silas. And we know this story, and it's kind of a famous story. In Acts chapter 16, verse 22, it says, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. That's a good day, right? I mean, that's, that's an awesome time. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. I'm sure this was not on Paul and Silas's to-do list for the week, right? Let's just see if we can do something that will get us thrown in prison, but not just any prison. Let's get thrown into the inner prison and have like the dungeon side of things and get our feet locked up as well. I don't think that was on their to-do list, but they found themselves in this trial. Now, there's not one of us here today, not one of us watching, not one of us here who is immune from a trial. Every single one of us will have trials come in our life. I I didn't say it, Jesus said it. He said, trouble's gonna happen, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. But there's not one of us who can escape this. Now, I think some of us think, though, in the back of our mind, if I did everything right, if I just used wisdom, if I was very smart with my money and my finances, if I just uh, you know, did everything that God said, if I followed everything after scripture and I did all this stuff, then I would avoid all these trials. And no doubt if you do those things, if you apply wisdom, if you avoid sin, if you can have victory over those things, you will avoid a lot of pain in your life, but you will not escape every trial. And how do I know that? Let me give you a case study. Jesus the perfect Lamb of God, who was sinless, who was perfect, who did everything right, who applied every bit of wisdom, who, who never sinned, and yet how many of you guys know he went through some trials, right? So it doesn't matter if you do every single thing right, you are going to encounter some trials in your life. The question is, what are we going to do when we get into these trials? Now James chapter 1 verse 2 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind, has anybody had any troubles of any kind, right? This is all of them, right? When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. How many of you guys just want to punch James in the mouth sometimes? Like, <laughs> thanks for writing that, James, you know, count it all joy, you know? But, but it's true, he says, he says, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I want you to hear this today. Trials are an opportunity for joy. If you're going through something today, it's an opportunity for joy. Now, I read some statistics this week that children ask roughly 125 questions a day. I believe it is 125 questions a day. Yes, that all. Well, I, I found another study that said it's really more like two or 300 questions a day for a four-year-old. How many of you parents are like living in that right now? <laughs> like, yeah. They, they estimate between, I think it's between two and five years old, they'll ask 40,000 questions. How many of you guys are tired already just hearing about that, right? 
But adults, I, I, they ask like, I don't know, it's five or six questions, four or five questions, I forget what it is. And so somewhere between childhood and adulthood, we lose somewhere around 120 questions that we ask even on the conservative side. So you wonder like, why are we less creative? Why are we less, you know, why do we engage, you know, less? It's because somewhere along the way, kids, they're always asking questions and they may be the, the weirdest questions, the strangest questions, but somewhere along the way as adults, we think we have it figured out and so we stop asking as many questions. The longer you live, the less questions you ask. I think it's the same way with joy. A lot of times in life, it seems like the longer we live, the less joy we have. Because now we have these experiences that give us reason not to have joy. We have these issues, we have these relationships, we have these bad moments, we have these hurts, we have these pains. And it seems like the longer we live, the less joy we have. And yet James is saying, whenever you have a trial or you have trouble, it's an opportunity for joy. So the way it ought to be in Jesus is the longer you live in Christ, the more joy you ought to have. And so if there's anybody here and you're lacking joy today, I, I just question, like, how long have you been in Christ? And then if you've been in Christ for a long time, ha have you been using your opportunities for joy well? I, I remember, you know, kids asking questions. My, my son, Sean, he was, I forget how old he was, was. He was just young. He was in that group of, of age when he was asking a lot of questions. And we were driving over to his cousin's house. And, and he started asking, are we going to Mariah's house? That's his cousin. Are we going to Mariah's house? And he began to ask that. And, you know, as a parent, sometimes you just tap out, right? You're just like, I wonder how long, how many questions he's going to ask, you know. So I just didn't even answer. And in a 15-minute drive, I think it was something like 100 times he asked that nonstop, right? He was persistent. He was persistent. Okay, so here's the key thought. See, a lot of times we think that when the Bible says that there's an opportunity for joy in a trial, we think that's guaranteed, like God promised me joy in a trial. That's not true. It says it's an opportunity for joy. So I want you to get this. Trials are guaranteed, but joy is optional. Trials are guaranteed, but joy is optional. God has joy out there for you, but it's an optional joy that you can step into or not. See, here's what happens. When you're in a trial and your response is worry, it's not just like, well, that's just common. That's what everybody should do in, in a trial or, or fear like we talked about last week. Really, you feel what you really believe. So whatever's going on on the outside, your feelings, like if, you, if, you're in a, if you're worried about money, it's because somewhere down deep you believe that God really isn't your source. If you're, if you're worried about tomorrow, if you're worried about relationships, somewhere you really believe that you're going to be incomplete if that doesn't work out. See, feelings are just warning lights that reveal what you really believe. If I had an orange up here and I squeezed the orange and this juice came out, how many of you guys know I didn't create the juice, I just revealed what was inside. And so whenever trials come and pressure comes, it doesn't create the response, it just reveals what's already inside. And so some of us, we, when we get in a trial, when we get in pressure, what's going on? And when, when worry comes and, and pressure comes and the stress comes and the anxiety comes, all it does is reveals what's happening with what you believe about who God is. So we have to go back and we have to do that. And, and we have to trade in some things. If we're in a trial, we, we need to trade in some things. Because I believe a lot of us are missing opportunities for joy because of what we trade in during a trial. 
And we give up some things, and we, we hold on to the wrong things, and we end up missing our opportunity for joy. So I saw this illustration, and I just want to share it with you about the importance of trading in some things. So watch this. In 2005, Kyle McDonald had an idea. He must have, I don't know if he had a desk or something. One day he opened it up, and he pulled this out, and he found a red paper clip. Yeah, it was a red paperclip like that. And he had this idea that somehow he could trade this and get something more valuable. And so he went on this journey uh, that he began to trade the paperclip for something else. In 2005, on July 14th of 2005, he traded this paperclip for a fish-shaped pin. That same day, he turned around and he traded the fish-shaped pin for a sculpted doorknob, a hand-sculpted doorknob. So he went on and he kept trading things. He traded the sculpted doorknob for a Coleman camp stove. He ended up later trading the Coleman camp stove for a Honda generator. And after a few trades later, he eventually traded up where he had traded something for a snowmobile. He then traded the snowmobile for a two-person trip to British Columbia. He continued to trade and eventually got a box truck. He continued trading and, and he had won some sort of afternoon with Alice Cooper. I guess somebody wanted to do that. He traded and eventually uh, after a about a year had passed, he traded all the way from that red paper clip up until he got a house. He traded from the red paper clip up until the house. Talk about trading up in value. That is like a crazy, crazy story. Uh, I once traded in my brand new Mustang, uh, and it wasn't brand new, but it had a couple years on it at that point. I traded it in for a minivan. I think I lost on that deal. Uh, but the truth is you can either trade up for something in value or you can trade down in value. And I think that's what we end up doing. The risk we run in a trial is a lot of times we'll end up trading stuff and trade down and make something less valuable. So we'll trade our joy for complaining. And what happens in a trial is it makes our trial less valuable because God doesn't cause things, but God can use things. And so many times we're taking and we're wasting these things. We're wasting these opportunities. We take our peace like we talked about last week and, and fear ends up turning into anxiety and we make our trial of less value. God never wastes anything, but sometimes we waste things and we waste opportunities. So we're going to have to trade some things. If we're going to have to, we're going to have to trade some things, give some things up if we're going to go up. So let's look at some of those things we have to trade up to go up. How many of you guys wish you had that idea about the red paper clip? That'd be awesome, right? So what I want to do is I want to give you some things we need to trade in if we're going to go up. And I'm going to give you three of them at the beginning, and then we're going to go into a time, uh, it's going to be a powerful time where we're going to encounter God, encounter God moment here in a little bit. And so I want to get there as quickly as I can, and then I'll share a bonus point with you after that. Uh, but if we are going to find ourselves with opportunities for joy, we've got to trade in some things. So I'm going to give you these things. The first thing we've got to trade in is we've got to trade our why me for what now. When you find yourself in a trial, there's a lot of opportunities for why me. Why am I in this spot? Why did this happen to me? Look what I, I, I tried to do all this stuff. So Paul and Silas, do you realize that Paul and Silas didn't get into prison because they were doing something wrong? They actually got into prison because they were doing something right. And if you rewind the story, it kind of goes like this. They're walking around, they're preaching the good news. There was this servant girl who was, uh, 
basically she was inspired by an evil spirit and she could tell fortunes and there were people who were making money off of her, but she was following them around and she was saying, these men are from God. These men are from God. This happened for days. Paul knew what was going on and he's going to the place of prayer. He's on his way to a prayer meeting. He finally gets tired of it and he turns around and he casts the evil spirit out of this woman. Now, Again, he's going to prayer, he's preaching the gospel, he's, he's setting people free, but no one was happy about that because these people now lost their opportunity for money. That's what stirred up the whole mob. They get all stirred up, they beat them, they throw them in prison, they're sitting in prison, they're at the bottom of the prison, they're in the dungeon. How many of you guys know there's no better opportunity for a why me than that, right? They're sitting there, why? God, we did everything you wanted us to do. We were applying the principles. We were preaching the gospel. We were setting people free. We obeyed your voice. We followed the plan. Why? Why me? Why am I in this spot? How many of you guys know that in a trial, there's a lot of opportunities for a why me, right? And so many of us, we find ourselves in a why me. There's no joy to be found in a why me attitude. There's no joy. There's no opportunity. We have to trade in our why me for what now? So what what did Paul and Silas do? Well, they found themselves in the inner prison, in the dungeon. And what happens is most famous part of the, one of the famous parts of of the Bible. It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 24. So the jailer put them in the inner inner dungeon, clamped their feet in the stocks. And around midnight, I I love the way the Bible just kind of turns like that. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were complaining And they were just talking to the other prisoners saying, you guys are in here because you guys are idiots. We're in here because we were doing something. No, they weren't saying any of that, were they? I don't know what version of the Bible you're reading, but that's not what happened. It says they were praying and they were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. They turned a why me into a what now. Some of us right now, we've got, we're looking at a why me situation. You may be even justified for the why me situation. But I'm telling you, if you want to experience joy, if you want to have an opportunity for joy, you have to take the why me and ask God, say, what now? God, what now? What, what would you have me do now? Because we can't go back to the past. We can't go back and change why we're here. We can't go back and right every single wrong. We can't go back and change the past and put us in a different spot. All we can do is stand where we're at right now and say, God, what do you have for me now? Some of us have spent so much of our time in self-pity. How many of you guys know that God doesn't, God doesn't move very much in self-pity? He can't because we're so focused on ourselves we can't even see him. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one because we've still got a couple more. But we do have to trade in our why me for what now. The second thing we have to trade in is this, our take me out for use me in. You see, Paul and Silas, their, their prayer when they found themselves in the prison, I think what most of us would do in that situation is, God, get me out of here. God, set me free from this. And whatever you're facing today, I think a lot of people, it's natural for us to say, God, change my circumstance. There's not even necessarily anything wrong with that until we get fixated on it. And and that's what, there's an opportunity for that to happen in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Again, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew off. And the chains of every prisoner fell off. How many of you guys know this looks like a God moment written all over it, right? 
I mean, can you imagine Paul and Silas? I mean, the earthquake happens. The doors literally blow open. Their chains fall off. We just sang about it. Chains falling off. I see a miracle coming. It won't stop. I mean, this is, this is the moment, right? Yay, God. Yay, Paul and Silas. Now they are set free. That's how I used to think the story went. And I've shared this before, but I kept reading one day. And I, 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 for the longest time, I thought that the story went like this, that Paul and Silas, they were doing God, doing God things. They were doing what's right. Then they got thrown in prison and they were persecuted. And, and they were suffered unjustly. And then they, they started singing to God. And they turned their focus to God. And God heard their prayer. And God blew the doors open and set them free. But then I kept reading. I realized that's not what was going on. That's not what was happening at all. In Acts chapter 16, verse 27, it says, The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. And he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights, ran to the dungeon, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer's about to kill himself. They say, stop. They say, we're still here. They, they, what happens next is he gets, connects them with his family and he, he gets saved. Their family gets saved. They feed him. They dress their wounds. And at some point, they're still in this prison. How do I know that? Because later on, if you keep reading, they, they said, the, the officials who put them in there said, let them free. We don't want to have anything to do with them. And Paul, I love his attitude. He's just like, no, they put us in here. Let them come down themselves and take us out of here. So if the story was to go like this, God moved, sent an earthquake, set them free for Paul and Silas, yay, Paul and Silas, then why did they stay there all night? The earthquake was not for Paul and Silas. The earthquake was for the jailer. The earthquake was to set the jailer free. See, Paul and Silas were, were stuck in, in the physical. They, they were bound but they were free on the inside. And the jailer was free on the outside, but he was bound on the inside. The earthquake, Paul and Silas didn't need the earthquake. They were already free. But the jailer came and he got set free. His family, can you imagine the joy of Paul and Silas? I, I just have a hunch that they had more joy seeing all of that play out than them being free. See, so many times though, we're praying, God, take me out of this situation. Instead of God, use me in. Whatever trial you're going through right now, maybe just for a moment, let me just suggest that you take your eyes on the take me out and you start putting your eyes on God, use me in. Maybe there's a person, maybe, maybe your, your victory isn't even going to be about your victory. Maybe the miracle isn't even going to be about your miracle. Maybe it's for someone else. Maybe God has you there for a purpose. The earthquake was for the jailer, for his salvation. Sometimes God will move heaven and earth, but maybe it's not for you at the time. We're so centered. I believe so many of us miss our kingdom moments because we think the moment is all about us. Even Jesus in the garden, he prays that prayer. He says, let this, this cup pass from me. But he says this then. He says, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Some of you are in a trial right now, and you need to go from the... Take this cup from me to the nevertheless. Say, nevertheless. Not my will, but your will be done. All right, let me, let me get to the third thing. The third thing is this. We've got to trade in. We have to trade our, 
I'll praise you when for an I'll praise you whenever. Some of you guys are going to get, get a hold of a, a truth right now that's going to set you free. I'll, I'll pray, because here's what happens. A lot of us are like, okay, God, I'll praise you when. Like whenever you finally, whenever the earthquake comes, I'll praise you. Whenever the breakthrough comes, I'll praise you. When, whenever this, how many of you guys have ever made a deal with God before? Like, God, if you get me out of this situation, I'll read my Bible a whole lot more. <laughs> I, I, I will change that in my life. I'll, I'll stop that sin. I will be more focused. We do these negotiations with God, right? And, and so we have these I'll praise you win moments. But I want you to pay close attention to this. Again, we're going to hit back to what we've already read. Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Pay attention to the timeline. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation, and all the doors immediately flew off, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Pay attention to which side of the breakthrough the praise was on. Pay attention to which side of the breakthrough the praise was on. The timeline is extremely important. See, in our culture, we celebrate after the victory, right? We are the champions, my friend. See, we celebrate, right? Whenever we've got the trophy in hand, whenever we're standing up on the pedestal, whenever the ribbon has been cut, we celebrate. Have you guys ever seen those, those clips of people who celebrated too early, right? They're, they're running, they think they got it, and then somebody zooms past them, right? See, in our culture, we celebrate when the victory happens, but in the kingdom of God, it's right side up. See, in the kingdom of God, we celebrate on the front side before the victory happens. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, many times they would send the worship team, they'd get the praise band, they'd get the worship team, they'd get the singers, they'd get, and they would send them out ahead of the battle. In fact, I was reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 this week, there was a great battle and King Jehoshaphat was facing all of these armies. And he was at first, honestly, he was scared. You can read the story. He was scared, he was afraid. He was like, what do I do? I'm gonna get wiped out. And then this prophet comes and says, no, here, here's what you got to do. Calm, calm your spirit, calm your heart. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, it says, he said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Some of you need to hear this as if the prophet is saying it to you, right? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army. Do not be afraid of the trial that's in front of you. Do not be afraid of the mountain that seems like it's not moving. Do not be afraid of the discouragement. Do not be afraid of what you're going through right now. Do not be afraid of the brokenness. Do not be afraid. Why? Hear it for yourself. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty thing in front of you. Here it is. For the battle is not yours. It's, it's God's. It's God's battle. Why, why are you fighting a battle that God is supposed to fight? You're spending all of your energy, instead of praising God, fighting a battle that you're not going to win. Because it's not for you to win. He's won the battle. You've, ex you've exerted all of your energy trying to fight, trying to worry, trying to prepare. And it says the battle is not yours, it's God's. It says, tomorrow march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens up to the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. 
What if this thing that you've been gearing up for, you've been preparing for, you've been getting ready for, what if you're not even going to have to fight it? Have you ever thought about that? What if God is true, you know, his word is true, and he does go before you, and he does fight the battle, and he has already won. He already has the victory. What if you're wasting all of this energy and all this worry and all this time fighting a battle you'll never have to pick up a sword for? It says, you won't even need to fight. Take your positions then, stand still, and watch the victory of the Lord. Watch the Lord's victory. What if you just get to get out your camping chair and sit out there and just watch the battle happen. You didn't even have to do anything. It says, watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Here it is again. Some of you need to hear this. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow for the Lord is with you. All right, so watch what happens. Verse 21, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Put singers out in the, in the front. He put everybody, you know, out in front that were worshipers, that were singing before the Lord, singing to the Lord, praising him for his holy splendor. Can you imagine what this might have done to the enemy? They're, they're spending their energy not focused on the enemy, but focused on God. What, whoa, what if we would do that? Spend our energy focused on God. God, you're holy. God, you're big. God, you're amazing. God, you're awesome. God, you're bigger than anything. They spent their energy worshiping God rather than focusing on the enemy. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And at that very moment, they began to sing and give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. You read on. They didn't even have to fight. What if we could exchange our God, I'll praise you when this happens. For God, I'll praise you whenever. And, and Paul and Silas, they find themselves in the worst of the worst, and they say, God, we're just going to praise you because it's always time to praise you. It's always time to worship you. It's always time to lift you up. We have to praise on the right side of the battle. So many of us are waiting to praise after the battle, but we have to praise on the correct side of the battle. I was reading through most of the Psalms this week and, and just noticed this, that, that Psalms are just simply prayers set to music. That's all they are. They're just prayers in song form. Some of us need to start praying to God, and we're going to get ready to do that right now. In fact, we're going to take a, a little praise break right here. Okay, I'm going to have the worship team come back up. We're going to have a mini TNT happen right here because I think some of us need to put this into practice right now because you are facing a battle right now. You're tempted to have a why me moment. You're tempted to have a take me out of this moment. You're tempted to have a God, I'll praise you when this happens moment. But what if we could trade our why me for what now? What if we could trade our God, take me out for God, use me in? What if, we say, what if we had the courage to say, God, I'm willing to stay here as long as your purposes are evident. God, I'll stay in the thick of it. I'll stay in the, the hard, I'll stay in the hard times, whatever it takes, as long as you are getting glory. What if we could, right now, just have a moment before God where we said, God, I'm not just gonna praise you when, but I'm gonna praise you whenever. And some of us need to make a declaration to, to praise God because we're seeing an army right now. You know, I heard this week, you know, sometimes, I mean, we got the worship team up here, and we're, I'm thankful for that. But sometimes you have to be your own worship leader. Some of you have to, to get a hold of your soul and just say, God, I'm going to praise you whenever. 
Would you guys stand up with me? I'm gonna come back for point four. There is a point four, so don't get too comfortable, but we're gonna take some moments and we're just gonna praise God. We're gonna worship God. We're gonna declare victory on this side of the battle. We're gonna be looking around for these moments when God is gonna use us, when God has strategically placed us where he wants us. So God, I just declare right now, we declare victory, we declare all those things, we declare breakthrough. But Lord, we put our eyes on you. We know that this is how we win when we praise. This is, this is an act of faith when we praise on this side. This is an act of victory, that we are declaring victory now, even though we don't see it yet with our natural eyes. And Lord, we declare this by faith. We sing these prayers by faith. And Lord, I pray that every single person here would find encouragement in you. If they're downcast, they wouldn't look somewhere else for their help, but they would find help and hope in you. And we declare that in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship him and let's make some declarations today. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my
because we still have one more point, okay? We still have one more. And it's a good one, okay? I'll just tell you, it's a good one. If you're in a situation right now and you're in a trial, here, here's what some of us need to trade in. 
We have to trade our get back to even for I'm taking ground. Because I think some of us, when we're in a trial, we think, man, if I could just get back to where I was, if I could just get back to where things were, if I could just get back what Satan stole from me, if I could just get back to, to the good old days, if I could just get back to this moment. Now, let's go and look at this story in, in the battle that Jehoshaphat was fighting in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 25. King Jehoshaphat and his men went over to gather the plunder. Remember, they didn't even have to fight. And they found vast amounts of equipment, of clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. See, somebody needs to get some more than they can carry faith. More than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. See, some of you need to get beyond, you're just like at this point where you're just hoping Best case scenario, I get back to even. That I get back to where I was. But some of you need to get some three-day faith. Like it's gonna take me three days just to, just to collect it all. And, it, and watch this, it even gets better, guys, okay? It says, on the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. Whoa, what if, what if God gave you opportunities and you, you think it's the valley of death, but, but what if God's gonna do something so strong that it renames your valley? And you're gonna look back at that moment, it's no longer the valley of death, it's no longer the valley of trouble, it's no longer the valley of trial, but now it is the valley of blessing. And that moment that you experienced pain that you thought wasn't gonna change, now you look back at it with joy because it is the valley of blessing. See, some of us need to get this faith is not just to get back to even faith, but to have a faith beyond even. A faith for abundance. A faith for more than. A faith that God can do more than you ask. A faith that God can do more than you dreamed. More than he did. More than what was in the past. And what seemed like a moment where it'd be awesome just to be back to even, God gives us an opportunity to take more ground than even before the trial. You see, when, I think it was 2010, and uh, we were still back in the school uh, as a church, and there was just a handful of people, and we had one summer where some people moved away, and some people stopped uh, coming to church and, and went somewhere else, and I was just kind of discouraged as a young pastor, just not knowing really what to do with all of that, and so I called up my friend who's a pastor, and I was just kind of in self-pity, and and just like, well, what did I do? You know, did I preach something wrong? Did I offend a bunch of people? That's probably likely, but you know, what, what, you know, what happened, you know? And I was all frustrated and just kind of in this pity party moment. And I was just like, man, what are we gonna do? And he said, you know, Sean, you know what happens when, when somebody moves on from my church? He says, I don't just believe for one family to replace them, I believe for 10. And I started to get that kind of faith. I was like, man, whenever somebody left, I just like, well, God, you're gonna bring more people who need to get saved. You're gonna bring more people who are ready to serve and use their gifts. You're gonna bring more people. And I started to believe when one family left, I believe for 10, you know what? I've seen it happen. 
Some of us need to get that type of faith, not just to get back to even faith, but a faith beyond even, a faith that says, I'm taking ground. James chapter one, verse two, we read it before, but let's keep reading. It says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, have you guys had some troubles of any kind, right? Guess what? You get to consider it an opportunity for great joy. Watch this, keep reading. For, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to what? Grow. You, it, what is he saying? When you come out of the trial, you're gonna be bigger than when you came in. You're gonna have grown more than when you went into the trial. So let it grow, let it grow. I just ruined your day, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Some of us need to get beyond even till I'm taking ground. Where your valley gets renamed to the valley of blessing. 